You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Cleaning the glasses there? Yeah. I don't want contacts, though. I just don't want to bother. That is the one thing I miss about contact. Yeah. Is not needing to clean them. I can understand. And not having the weird distortion in your field of vision around, like, the periphery of your glasses. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, if I'm looking (laughs) at my iPad and I look down, like, instead of, like, putting my whole head down and I just dart my eyes down and look at it through the bottom of my glasses, the text is, like, weirdly distorted. Maybe it's just because my eyes are so bad and my prescription is so ridiculous. Because I got to say, I'm not seeing this happen. Yeah, wow, I feel (laughs) very alone. Oh, (laughs) accidental admissions here on the podcast. Wow! But I do miss that about contacts. Yeah, I can understand that. You know. The funny thing is, and this happened, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. This happens to me frequently. Because I don't, when I'm at home, I don't really wear my glasses very much. Unless I want to see the TV across the room or something like that. Oh, but, I forgot. Yeah, you, you, your eyes are mostly decent. They're fairly decent. I'm very nearsighted, though, if I have to, you know, if you had to choose. Yeah, I couldn't tell. Unless I knew who you were, like, mm. by voice. If I took my glasses off right now, I wouldn't know who you were. I can actually, I mean, we're pretty close in this room, though, so that's not a fair test. But when I'm not wearing my glasses, though, I constantly, like, reach up to adjust my phantom glasses. Oh, yes. They're not on my face. I'm like, every time I feel like an absolute moron. Like, what a tool. Like the and tick, that's me. You know, go out into public and people are like, is that guy got like an invisible monocle he's trying to like put uh, on? You uh, know? It's, so, it's so embarrassing if I'm in public in any way. I'm like, no, 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 please don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I don't miss the price of contacts, though. Oh, gosh. And, yeah, yeah, that's right. That. You so, have to like, oh, and then you hear the stories about the parasites when the people leave them in too long and it eats their eyeball alive. Yeah. Isn't that? <laughs> Cute little bedtime story. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, the convenience of glasses has just stuck with me for it's the fine. last. And it's an accessory. Yeah. If, as if I needed another reason to reel me in. <laughs> I can express myself. I can look like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> or a 1970s cult leader. Uh, exactly. Want some flavor aid? <laughs> Have you considered this flavor aid? <laughs> hmm. uh, well, enough about eyesight. Mm. We're just going to... Go right into it because I don't have any... No segue. No segue because this is a podcast. We don't need that. No. Buff. You saw the title. Yeah. You know exactly what we're here about. You may be one of those people who skips the banter. You know, there are people that do that. Really? Have you heard that firsthand? I mean, I actually haven't heard that firsthand. Okay. I just know that in the podcast world... I don't like. I, I listen don't, to podcasts, and yeah. they'll be like, "Do you, oh, skip you want to skip it?" I don't. Okay, but I, don't I will either. notice that not too infrequently. You like my like double negative there, very <laughs> British. They'll be like, "Want to skip the banter in the show notes?" And they'll like tell you the timestamp uh, for yeah where to skip the banter. I always listen to the banter. I do too. I don't listen to podcasts super regularly anymore. Like it's very like hit and miss. <gasps> really? Because I'm I'm like an audiobook guy now. Uh, well, I, go, so, okay. I go through seasons. A different format about that. of very audio. Christian. Yeah, yeah, like I'm seasons. <laughs> but like there are times like if a podcast really grips me, I'll listen to it and do that yeah. but the majority of the time i'm like i'm gonna listen to this book just because that's the stage of life i'm in where it's like that's more for my work and school and yeah. all these things it just ends up being more beneficial mm. so I, i'm still a here nor there. very hardcore podcast listener yeah, that's good. like a lot of other things have taken a hit like i'm missing shows i'm missing like youtube update i'm missing like i'm like wow well, I, I can multitask and yeah, do say. this you can only do so much, too. It's like you can only keep up with, you know, mm. so much content. And I can just, I can literally, if I'm working or doing something that I don't have to read words with, I could listen for hours. Yeah. I'm like plowing through a series. That's right. That's right. <sighs> wow. Yeah. And we're going to plow through this discussion of the covenants. Wow. 
Yes. Okay? That was what we were doing. No, I mean, that was fine. That was absolutely, that works. We're not going to rush. We're going to take our time. No, but. we're not. When we say plow, it'll be more like plod. <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to continue our discussion of the covenants. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to do this by uh, today discussing the first covenant that God cut with mankind. But here's the thing about that. If you did a simple search of the word covenant in your Bible you would find that it's first used in Genesis 6, 18, hmm. when God says to Noah that he will establish his covenant with him before the flood comes. Okay, mm. And now this would lead you to believe, mm. you just took it on its surface, mm-hmm. that the first covenant between God and man in scripture is the Noahic covenant, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, early days, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. You check all the big boxes. Yeah. You have an accord between distinct parties. Mm-hmm. It's clearly a covenant in the language. Yeah. Sovereignly administered. Yeah. It's your obvious go-to. Yeah, There's exactly. something wrong in this, though. Which, well, there's you... a fly in the ointment, Josiah. <laughs> But only two flies. Just, just, <laughs> only two flies on that are. I was just reading Ecclesiastes yesterday where he <laughs> talked about the fly in the ointment. That's <sighs> funny. Yeah, no, you're right. There is a fly in the ointment of that thought. That would mm. be incorrect because God actually cut his first covenant, not with Noah, but with Adam and Eve. Ah. And historically, this has been referred to as the covenant of works. Mm. So even though the term covenant is not explicitly used in Genesis 1 and 2, I hope to demonstrate to you, dear listeners, that all the prescient elements of a covenant are there, therefore making it a covenant, and uh, then to explain the significance of that particular covenant for our overall understanding of scripture and redemptive history. Mm. So let's deal with the elephant in the room first. Okay. How can we say that God cut a covenant with Adam and Eve when the word is never even used? Yeah. How can we say that? Make your case, friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Look at me, friendo. <laughs> I'm not trying to be that challenging. For you. <laughs> no, it's a, um, well, you know, as the old saying goes, if it walks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a covenant. <laughs> Yeah. Am I right? They That's how the saying goes, it. right? That's everyone how they, everyone say it. says it like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's I bet you there. can find the evidence for that in Logos as well. Yeah. <laughs> the original first <laughs> use of that little anecdote. <laughs> Run a power search on that. Figure that out. Um, duck, duck, a covenant. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a game where you you go around petting the heads of the duck and then the one you land on covenant you cut it <laughs> oh my gosh oh. Duck covenant quack. maybe you that's know. how they did it back then yeah, that's it that's exactly right uh no no joking aside all the elements of a covenant are present in the arrangements that god makes with adam and eve in the garden of eden so if we go back to um O. Palmer Robertson's definition that you kind of alluded to there. Mm. Covenant is a bond and blood sovereignly administered. Uh, we can break that down just a little bit more okay. to its component parts, okay? So we've got a covenant establishment that requires, one, distinct parties, obviously. Yes. Yep. Two, you need promises and blessings. Mm. Three, conditions. Mm-hmm. Four, a penalty for violating that covenant. And then five, you want a sign or a seal of some kind. That's okay. a, what typically shows up in a covenant arrangement. So let's begin here with saying that we obviously have distinct parties. We have Adam and Eve who represent the whole party of humanity at that time and then god represents god you know mm. like duh uh, exactly but, you know, <laughs> like so you got the two parties you have god on the one hand and then adam and eve on the other so check off number one parties now next we read in genesis 1 28 through 29 and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and god said behold i have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have them for food so it's the covenant of works because of like the subdue the earth and such and such responsibilities sort of okay <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, without getting too far into the history, there was actually not a great deal of unification on what to call this covenant. Uh, I can, yeah. yeah. Okay, go um, on. So most theologians landed on deciding on calling it the covenant of works mm. for reasons that we'll talk about in later covenants. Okay, um, okay. But various titles were covenant of nature, um, Ooh, the I covenant like of life. Yeah, okay. There were a few others, but... Covenant of nature sounds... Yeah. Kind of like a fantasy novel. I yeah. Like that. <laughs> I, got I feel, all the fantastical yeah, elements there, you know. Does. And I feel like Covenant of Works, here in my ignorance, no, no, you're feels good. like yeah. we're underselling it a little bit. Works feels less attractive than something like Covenant of Dominion. I like that a lot. You know, yeah. or, or Covenant <laughs> of like, everything the light touches is our kingdom. <laughs> Simba, you know. And then you hear the music from the Lion King swell in the background. <laughs> now the movie for like, what's that? He's like, oh, whoops. Like, and like the timeline is like, I've, the eternal now is bleeding into the, you know, the thing. But yeah, so the, the term covenant of works, you get some of that from the subduing and having dominion. But that is all included together basically under the idea of Adam and Eve's obedience to God as a work. Oh, unexpected. And this will come up later where we're going to talk about the prohibition here in a moment, but that all gets wrapped up in the idea of obeying God. Okay. So you have your blessings there, obviously, as we just referenced. So check off number two. Mm -hmm. And then as far as conditions go, other than like having to fulfill the creation or dominion mandate, whichever mm. uh, term you prefer, there's one simple prohibition, which is mm. in Genesis 2, where God says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Mm -hmm. So that actually covers both three and four. You get conditions and then you get penalty for mm -hmm. violating yeah. those conditions. Big red um, button there. Yes, yes. And that's where you kind of get your bond and blood too. Like this is a life or death mm. kind of a thing. Oh, okay. You yeah. know, sovereignly administered. It's like God's like, there's no negotiating. Adam and Eve aren't like, well, like, but what if something different? They're just like, yes, like, of course, I you know. I would be building such a big fence around that tree. Yeah, that's right. I don't you even think, right? want to look at the tree. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see the tree. I want to forget that exists and say, look at this wooden tower I've made. You know what I mean? It's like, that's it. I, my grandchildren would be like, I've heard of a tree. No, you haven't. <laughs> that's it. There's a tower. No, there is no tree. There's never been a tree. <laughs> the tree is just a myth. <laughs> um, uh, and we live forever. Wow. Yes. Well, amazing, you know, and we were obedient and we, we got all these things. So the question now is, where is the sign or seal? And this is another area without getting into, hey, uh, you know, another 40 minute, like, you know, discussion about this. There was a lot of discussion among theologians when these are doctrines and ideas were being articulated about what the sign or the seal was. Oh, this particular. Yeah. And what has been almost universally agreed upon is that the tree of life was mm. the sign slash seal of this covenant. And the reason for that is you have this tree that Adam and Eve evidently at some point would have been allowed to eat from, but that they were cut off from after the fall. So the idea there is that in this covenant, obedience will be rewarded. So like you kind of have that implied, like yes. there's this condition. If you disobey this condition, it's death. Implication being if you obey, there's going to be a reward. Mm -hmm. Like that's how these arrangements have always ended up working in covenants between God and people. Because I mean, you think about it, we have the same kind of body that Adam and Eve had. Like yeah. they didn't have a distinctly different body from us. The one difference being that before they ate from the tree, which they did, spoiler alert, <laughs> Um, you know, like their bodies weren't yet exposed to corruption and decay, right. but they didn't have 
what we would call glorified bodies like Jesus had. Yeah. Okay. So the idea then would be without getting into too much speculation, okay? Because, you know, you don't want to get too far with this, but like that they somehow would have been permitted to experience that oh, wow. if they'd obeyed. Like they'd have gone on to a, a higher level, so to speak, Dang. of humanity. And so then in that case, like the fruit of the tree of life would serve as the sign and the seal of okay. this covenant. Yeah. Interesting. I probably should have asked this before, maybe even the last time we talked about covenants. <laughs> But like, why is a sign or seal particularly necessary? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's an arrangement. That's clear. And I feel like this is more or less a cosmic scale handshake, having the sign or seal. But like, why bother? Why add Mm -hmm. the extra element when both parties are bound by their word, so to say? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think there are two sides to this. One, if you want to be like really simplistic, it's like, oh, it's just the way God designed it. You know, he wanted like a visible seal with it. But I think Calvin is actually helpful on this front. So I'll jump ahead, way ahead and use a more pertinent example to to us in this in this day and age take the lord's supper as an example mm-hmm. it is a sign and a seal of the new covenant in Christ's blood, okay? Now, you could ask the question, and the Quakers actually came to a weird conclusion on this. <laughs> Why do we need that? Like, we, if we believe in Jesus, like, faith is the sole instrument for being justified, and then, you know, that's, like, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, right? Why do we need the Lord's Supper hmm. as this sign and seal? And a, a group, Yeah, like, well, and, and the Quakers landed on, oh, we don't, so we're oh. just not going to do it. <laughs> well, we'll <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we'll instead. Yeah, like, we'll just disobey, you know, Jesus and the apostles. That's fine. Casually. Um, Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Quakers. But Calvin talked about how it is a mercy of God that condescends to meet our needs because we are physical, embodied, and audiovisual creatures, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a mercy on God's part to say, like, yes, like, you're saved by faith, but that's an intangible thing. Like, you can't handle it. You can't (laughs) touch it, right? Like, your salvation, it's not ethereal, but, like, you can't... (laughs) It's not a solid thing, right? But Jesus is, and... Sometimes the way, if you've been around the church, especially at Lost Creek Campus, you've probably heard me say this a few times, depending on how I'm leading the communion portion of the service, but I will occasionally say things like, this bread and this cup remind you your salvation is as real as the bread between your teeth Mm. and the cup that you're drinking. And so that's part of why we get signs and seals is because they remind us of that. They're these kind of visual tokens that embody the covenant, if you can speak about it in those terms. And Calvin kind of articulated that as a help to us. In many of the cases, it's something you can go back to. You can look back on. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like the same, you'd have like these, Ebenezer, the proper Mm -hmm. term, something to to look back on as a a physical manifestation, a reminder of that moment. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And Paul makes that point, and so does Jesus. When he talks about like the Lord's Supper, he's like, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Like you're remembering, oh, Christ did die. He, yeah. he, he really was a real person come in the flesh whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. And you're remembering that. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk more about that in particular. because there, I think there's a lot more to the Lord's Supper than just that. Sure. But anyway, but that that's to answer the question about why we get yeah. those signs and those seals. Now, in addition to this basic sketch, so I, I think taking all those elements together, you can see that even though the word covenant isn't used, there's been a covenant established. Yes. Um, But in addition to this basic sketch, as it turns out, we actually have an explicit reference to the covenant of works in Hosea 6-7, which says, but like Adam, Mm -hmm. they, the Israelites, transgress the covenant. So in other words, the Israelites are imitating their first father, Adam, by transgressing the covenant. And all that language clearly implies there was a covenant in place in the Garden of Eden that Adam broke. (laughs) Like, right? Like, he couldn't have broke a covenant that didn't exist. There was a covenant there, right? In, In the way it's talked about, it seems like we're all very unambiguous and recognize this. I mean... The language is just in Hosea here is very clear. Yes, so it is. And um, this is just for fun. We'll talk about this more when we get to that point. I keep getting ahead of myself, but <laughs> we talk a lot about the Davidic covenant. Everyone's very fine with using that. <laughs> 
Second Samuel 7, where God establishes that. Word covenant isn't used. Whoa. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk about more about that later. But um, having established the fact that there was a covenant of works, the big question is, so what? Mm. Right? Like sure. Adam broke it, sin entered the world, death through sin. Boo-hoo. Right? Like, that's it. That's sad. <laughs> like, that, that sucks, right? Like, and then Jesus had to come. Uh, right. But that's not exactly the whole picture. Because... If we really are in this dilemma, right? Like if we really did, as Paul says in Romans 5, sin in Adam and death did really enter the world through sin and we're all subject to that curse. And not just we, but all of creation along with us. Yeah. Well, how are we ever going to get the opportunity to pluck fruit from the tree of life again? How is this going to be made right? Like, are we just on a historically downward spiral where everything's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse and worse until like finally it's just like it all blows up. Some people say that anyway. You know what I mean? Right. But if that's not going to be the case, if like we're somehow going to be delivered from that curse, from sin, from death, the covenant was never like nullified. It was never like we abolished. Ever, yeah, it wasn't yeah. abolished. So the, that means those conditions still have to be met. But put simply, we cannot be wholly obedient before God, right? Like that's if that's the condition is like be obedient, like mm. do what God has told you to do. We can't do it. It's going to be a tough sell. Yeah, because I mean, you have the added difficulty of not just one command, but I mean, you think in terms of the life of the church, you have still at least 10 big ones. Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, we break those without even acting them out because exactly. Jesus said, even at the level of heart desire, he's like, that's the point of the, like the law was given to reveal your heart is fundamentally corrupt. Yeah. Like at the level of its desires, even when your desires are off, that is guilt. You are guilty of violating the commands and violating the covenant. So like, oof. Josiah, whatever will we do? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's like, oh no, we're, we're toast, except this is where Jesus comes in. And Paul talks about Jesus as the last Adam, Hmm. which in other words, what he's doing, and I think this is where understanding history in terms of at least having a category for the covenant of works begins to make more sense of these kinds of discussions. Because if you think about Jesus as the last Adam, what Paul was saying is he is the true son of God who is perfectly obedient before God and who, unlike Adam, resists temptation in a garden, right? Like Adam didn't. Adam fell in a garden. Christ resisted temptation in a garden, Mm -hmm. which without, again, like we could talk about this for a long time, but like in sum, Christ kept the covenant of works, which means we can actually say, Technically, we are saved by works, just not ours. Uh, we're saved by Christ. Uh, yeah, right. So again, if you understand this scheme, Paul's discussions about Christ as the last Adam in places like Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 will make a ton more sense. And it'll give a lot more substance to those moments when we say like, oh yeah, Christ fulfilled the law. Like, well, I mean, like in what sense? Well, it even goes back to the covenant of works. Yeah. It is almost embarrassing to admit, but even though we talk about like the direct connection between the fall mm-hmm. and the need for Christ's sacrifice to pay the debt and how we talk about Christ's work on the cross as the work that saved us. Yeah. In spite of all of this stuff that we would easily agree upon, we talk about it, we've, we have talked about it, you know, countless times in, in yeah. our Christian lives. Mm-hmm. It's basically elementary intro to Christianity stuff. <laughs> sure, yeah. And yet I've never really looked at these threads woven together in, in the shape of a covenant. Yeah. In light mm-hmm. of, of like this covenant scheme. And it's actually really satisfying. It is. To see this all woven together. So yeah, neatly. yeah. And especially when we start our discussion of the next covenant, which is the Noahic covenant. Mm. We're going to introduce some different terminology that's even, I think, going to further unify this. Okay. And uh, it really is like the first time this whole scheme 
was made known to me. It just, it made so much sense of things in scripture that did not make sense to me before. Like, it's like, how do you work this out? What is going on here? And then it's like the lights turn on. You're like, oh, wow. Like that's how that works. And that's how this all ties together. And it's so, so good and so helpful. So all that is to say at the end of the day, in short, we get two choices. We can either be reckoned as children of the first Adam and stand guilty of violating this covenant and bear the penalty of death for our sin. Or we can be made children of the last Adam and in him by faith be counted as keeping this covenant. And when that happens, ultimately we get to take fruit from the tree of life again. And that's like, you even see those themes again, beginning and ending and tying together scripture to Genesis and in Revelation. Oh, wow. Because I think plenty of theologians have pointed this out, but like the world begins in a garden and the last scene in Revelation is in a garden. Like it begins and ends there yeah. um, with the tree of life. And I'll just read the passage because I think it's worth, it's worth quoting. Revelation 22, one through five. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, a brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So like even that term, they will reign. That's the dominion mandate. Oh my word. Being brought back to the fruition. It was always meant to be brought back to. Yeah. So just again, an aside that we've often mentioned on the podcast, I mention it frequently in my discussions with people, a few times in my preaching, like <laughs> the dominion mandate, the covenant of works, like that, the concept of going out and doing those things is not something that goes away. Mm. We are still, as Christians now, called to fulfill it. Yeah. And in some sense, we're going to continue to fulfill it, like throughout all of time. Like, it's not like we're going to get to the static place where it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we've, you know, we've, we're, we're here now and this is the end. It's like, no, like we reign with God forever and ever as we were meant to do from the beginning. Mm. And uh, all those covenants, it all ties together comes back here and it's uh it's really i think rather remarkable so that's that i dig it and that was a an edifying and encouraging discussion for you and if it was and you want to leave us an honest five-star review that'd be mm. great yes it would that's yep. that's it that's you don't the, the even have thing. to enter into covenant for that no you don't <laughs> you can just just do the thing no no strings attached no bond and blood here <laughs> exactly and uh if you have any questions on this or any other topic feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net So thank you as always for listening and we'll catch you next time.